0: Okay, last night we were tremendously blessed by a group of young men called the Heritage Quartet that came and led us in worship, and uh, they're still with us this morning, and uh, so if you were not here last night, we thought we'd give you a little sample of what you missed. So the quartet will come and share a song or two, whatever they choose, and then after that we'll turn the time to Brother Josh. Where are you leading me? Is this the way? Life is so hard to live from day to day. Though it seems impossible to love what I can't see, if my love is what you want, with all that is in me, I... with tears, and you are taking everything that I hold dear. Oh, Lord, can you hear me? Can't you see I'm in such pain? Still, if you should never choose to show your face again, What heart could find such, boundless, such grace. boundless grace? The God of ages, God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin, to wear my and sin, my, my shame. The cross has spoken; I forgiven. am forgiven. The King of kings cost me His own. Jesus Christ is my living The promise, your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, Out of the, silence, the, silence the lion declared, declare the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free Alleluia Death has lost its grip on me You have broken every chain There's salvation in your name Jesus Christ is my living hope Alleluia Praise the one who set me free Alleluia Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in Your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ is my living.
1: Thank you so much, brothers, for blessing our hearts in that way. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. Wow. God's grace and peace to all of you here this morning, dear people. The message I have to share this morning is in the context of change. And as I begin this message, by means of introduction, I read a letter that is dated January 31, 1829. This letter is written to President Andrew Jackson. President Jackson, the canal system of this country is being threatened by the spread of a new form of transportation known as railroads. The federal government must preserve the canals for the following reasons. One, if boats are supplanted by railroads, serious unemployment will result captains, cooks, drivers, hustlers, repairmen, and lock tenders will be left without means of livelihood, not to mention the numerous farmers now employed in growing hay for horses. Two, boat builders would suffer, and towline, whip, and harness makers would be left destitute. Three, canal boats are absolutely essential to the defense of the United States. In the event of the expected trouble with England, the Erie Canal would be the only means by which we could ever move the supplies so vital to waging modern war. As you may well know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. (laughs) Sincerely yours, Martin Van Buren, governor of New York. You know, often our early resistance to change seems rather foolish when viewed from a slightly different perspective, does it not? change. How do you view change this morning? Do you balk and face change stubbornly? Do you sigh and say, well, it is what it is? Or do you embrace the changes that life brings and move forward by faith? That's the title this morning, forward By faith. Today our congregation is on the threshold of much change. In varying degrees. Maybe it's in our homes. You know, in our home, our six little babies aren't six little babies anymore. You know, it used to feel good to put all the babies to bed. To kiss them good night, to turn the lights off and lock the front door, and we're all safe. We're all here. Everyone's accounted for. It's just not like that anymore. <laughs> change. Maybe it's changes in our families in other ways. Maybe it's a change in your business. Maybe it's change in your employment. Uh, Maybe it's changes in your congregational responsibility, which September is that month, right? Where every year there's changes in our congregation, new responsibilities, new committees to serve on. And of course, there's from time to time changes in leadership. And I'm feeling that again this morning, wondering how that is all going to pan out for me, for us You know, change scares us. Change can cause anxiety because it interrupts and upsets our routine. It forces us away from what is normal, what is familiar, what is comfortable. And yet, remember, brothers and sisters, that the normal and familiar and comfortable at one time was new as well. Change is inevitable. In fact, change is a natural part of life. And Solomon highlighted this. He highlighted the ever-changing landscape of life when he said in Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And then he goes on to list 28 different changes or seasons of life. 28. And maybe this morning you're on the threshold of one or more of those 28 changes. And maybe you find yourself resisting that change as Governor Martin Van Buren was many years ago. And dear people, I want to encourage you this morning to not resist the change that God is bringing into your life, that God has allowed in your life. But I want to encourage you to embrace that change. With the help of God. And to move forward by faith. I want to encourage you to see this change in your life. From another perspective. From a higher perspective. Because the wise man Solomon goes on to write. He has made everything beautiful in his time. You see, it is unbelief that says, this is too scary. This is too dangerous. I'm going to go back to where it was safe. But it is faith that says, let's move forward to where God is working. You see, in Joshua chapter 3, and I invite you to that passage. That's our text this morning. Joshua chapter 3. But in this passage an event was about to happen that would change the people's lives forever. They had come to a place where God was saying, it's time for a change. I have many blessings in store for you. Just follow me. But on the other side of this change was a land full of unknowns. In fact, our passage says this morning, they had never passed this way before. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it does to me this morning. For ye have never passed this way heretofore or before. How would they walk through this change successfully? That's the crux of the message this morning. How would they walk through this change successfully. Joshua chapter 3, follow along. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore." And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant, and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come near to the brink of the waters of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the Ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above and they shall stand upon and heap. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people and as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam that is beside Zeritton and those that came down toward the sea of the plain even the salt sea failed and were cut off and the people passed over right against Jericho And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. That's the word of the Lord. Wow, what a story. What a story. Now, this morning, the Jordan River stands for change. The Jordan River stands for transition. You see, on one side of the Jordan River was 40 years of normal, familiar routine. God's people had experienced God's daily provision in the form of food, manna, quail. God's people had experienced his daily protection. In the form of the pillars of fire and cloud. God's people had experienced the miracle of clothes and shoes that never wore out. Can you imagine that? But don't forget dear people. That this was 40 years of wandering in circles in the desert. This was 40 years of discipline. This was 40 years of punishment for unbelief. This was no stroll through the park. You see, you remember that God had brought His people marvelously out of Egypt. Marvelously delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. And then they come to the Red Sea. And an amazing miracle happened. Here they were at the Red Sea. And Pharaoh and his army was pursuing And God opened up the Red Sea and they passed through and the sea closed down on Pharaoh and his army and they were all destroyed and singing and rejoicing by God's people and they move on. And it wasn't too long after that it's time to view the land. We're almost ready to get to Canaan. And so you know the story where the 12 spies were sent out and They came back with their reports. And in a nutshell. God said let's go. Moses said let's go. Joshua and Caleb said let's go. But the other ten spies. And the people said. It's a no go. We are not able. We are not able. And because of that unbelief. The people Had to wander in the desert for 40 years. One year for every day that the spies explored that land. And none of those people besides Joshua and Caleb could then enter into the promised land. That was one side of the Jordan River. On the other side of the Jordan was Canaan. That was the promised land. But, it was still a land full of unknowns. It was unfamiliar territory. It was walled cities. It was giants. That part had not changed. This morning we want to walk with the Israelites through the Jordan River and learn how they made it from change to Canaan. (laughs) What do I mean by that? I say... Learn how they made it from change to Canaan. You see, too often we equate change with death. You understand what I'm saying? Too often we focus, when we're facing change, we focus on what used to be. We focus on what was familiar. We focus on what we lost. We focus on what we wished we still had. We focus on what we had to sacrifice. I say too often we equate change with death. But dear people, godly vision and godly goals and meaningful life does not have to die with change. It does not have to. Certainly, God's blessings don't die with change. You see... In God's eyes, change is not a cemetery, dear people, but it is a conduit. You understand what I'm saying? It's not a cemetery, but it's a conduit. When we embrace it, change becomes a channel through which God pours an even greater measure of his grace and his blessings into our lives. But so many times we resist that, like Governor Martin Van Buren. (laughs) We resist that. We don't want to move on. Because it's scary. Because we're anxious. Because we've never passed that way before. So how did the Israelites. And how do we today. Make it through the Jordan of change. To Canaan. How do we do that? We do it by taking God at his word. And proving by obeying these three commands, and these three commands are directly from this passage. Set your eyes on the ark, sanctify yourself, step into the water. Let's look at those three. Set your eyes on the ark. We find this specifically in verses 3 and 4. But let me just give a little commentary here leading up to that. So the passage begins by saying that Joshua rose early in the morning. It's a fascinating little phrase there that we find at least four times in the book of Joshua. He rose early in the morning. It's a position of ready for the battle. Ready for the day. Preparation. The book of Joshua is a book of, of Conquering the Challenge. It's a book that is symbolic of spiritual warfare. And Joshua was a man who prepared for spiritual warfare. And he did it by getting up early. Preparing. Keep that in your mind as we consider this story, but also as you consider spiritual warfare in general. It's going to take, it's going to take something outside of the status quo. It's going to take something outside of the norm to be victorious in spiritual battle. You're going to have to discipline yourself. You're going to have to beat your body into subjection. Either get up early or stay up late, but there's going to take a special tactic to being victorious in spiritual battle. It's not going to happen in the laziness and humdrum of life. Joshua rose up early, and the people, they traveled from Shittim to the banks of Jordan... Which was a 10 mile trip, okay? But they were used to traveling, right? Okay. Yeah, unfortunately they were. A 10 mile trip here to the banks of Jordan, and then we have something interesting. They camped there for three days. Why? Why? Why not let's get on across? They set their tents up and they camped at Jordan for three days. What does this have to do with setting your eyes on the ark? It has everything to do. Listen up here. Now, the Jordan River, as you notice in verse 15, was at flood stage. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it was springtime. And the snow from the mountains, Mount Hermon and other surrounding mountains, was melting, running all down, and flooding the Jordan plain. You might not believe this, but this is true. The Jordan River at this spot was typically around 100 feet wide. Not right now. It was approximately one mile wide. And now the children of Israel are camped there for three days. They're camped next to the bank of the Jordan River. And this is no little... Bannister River Stream flowing through the Wolf Trap Wildlife Management Area. No, okay? All right. What you're seeing here is a raging, swollen, dangerous rush of churning water that is bringing stumps and dead logs and bushes and everything that has gotten its way rushing down through here, okay? You get the picture? And so for three days they sat and they stared at the impossibility of this river we're talking about perspective set your eyes on the ark this was in their perspective right now what in the world how is this even possible and here's the deal it's not in your eyes in your mind it ain't possible and that's exactly what God wanted to do you can't do this Don't even try. You will not make it through alive. You can't do it. And so as they sat there, they came to that conclusion. We can't do this. But then out of that came this command. Verse 3. When ye see the ark and the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way before. Now, just a little practical comment here. Verse 4. The command was, People... You are to follow the Ark of the Covenant. The priests will be bearing the Ark of the Covenant. You are to follow that, but don't come near it. And this is another amazing thing. You know, we look at some of these terms in the Bible and we don't really comprehend the distance or the width or the depth or some of those things. The command was, it needs to be a half a mile out in front of you. A half a mile. Why? I said, this is a practical comment here. Okay, so we're working with a group of people of well over a million, perhaps up to two and a half million. This is a huge multitude of people. Can you imagine if the Ark of the Covenant was directly in front of the group? Could it be seen? No, you couldn't see it. Move it out a half a mile, everyone can see it. Now, everyone. Put your eyes on the ark. Now when the ark moves, you can see it. Why do you need to see it? Because we've never passed this way before. This is new territory. But keep your eyes on the ark. When it turns this way, go this way. Okay? Now it can be seen. What is the ark? (laughs) What is it symbolic of? The ark is symbolic of God's presence. The ark is symbolic of God's power. It was the throne of God. It's where God's glory rested. It rested in the ark, in the tabernacle. And the command was, go after it. And I want you to notice the order of procession. Go after it. And we see this reference at least four or more times in this little passage. Go after it. In other words, the ark is to go before you. Is to go ahead of you. You are to watch. You are to follow the presence of God. Okay? That's the thrust. God is leading the way. I want us to note verses 10 and 11 as we're thinking about this. Notice once again what verses 10 and 11 say, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, and Hittites, and Hivites, and Perizzites, and Girgashites, and Amorites, and Jebusites. Okay, a lot of names, a lot of people. It sounds kind of funny once we say Mennonites. But, but you know, we're talking about enemies, right? Okay, but I, I noticed that, and I was, I was studying that. I counted that, and I said, that's Seven. That's seven enemies. Is that a coincidence? Are there coincidences in the Bible? Well, maybe. But I'm going to say, this is not a coincidence. You know what seven means. Seven is the number for completeness. Seven is the number for fullness in the Bible. And so here, God is saying that the living God is among you. And God will drive out completely, without fail, all your enemies. Take that to heart today in your spiritual warfare. The living God, that same God, will do the same for you today. He doesn't do anything halfway. If God is fighting your battles, if you are surrendered to Him, God will do it all the way. Complete. Fullness. Drive out without fail. But there's two fundamental questions here that needed to be asked. And the one is... Who was the true and mighty God? Who was this God? Was it the God of the Israelites? Or was it the God of the Canaanites? Who was it? Okay? We're getting ready to have battle here. We have two sides. Who was the true and mighty God? You see, the Canaanites believed that Baal reigned as king over all the gods. Why? Because he had conquered the God of Israel of the sea. Baal had conquered the sea god. And so they believed that Baal was the god. He was the king. But dear people, by opening the way through the flooded Jordan, God was about to show the Israelites and the Canaanites that he alone is the Lord over all the waters. Okay? He's greater than the sea god, he's greater than Baal. Hands down, he is the living God. And notice the contrast there. He's the living God. He's not like your dead gods. He's the living God. But then there's another question that that begged to be asked, and that is, did the Israelites have a rightful claim to the land of Canaan? Did they? And I say, absolutely they did. Turn back a page or two to Joshua chapter 1 and look here what we read. Joshua chapter uh, 1 and verse 2. Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give unto them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong, and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Okay, so did the God of the Israelites have a rightful claim to the land of Canaan? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, he is the God of all the earth. Is that not what we read in our text? And so, by passing safely through the Jordan River, at the head of his army... God here was demonstrating the validity of his claim to the land of Canaan. This is really not theirs. This is mine. And I will fight for it. I will take it. I am the Lord of all the earth. Everything is mine. And this is your inheritance, he says to his people. Now, they were to set their eyes on the ark. In other words, take your eyes off of the problems. Take your eyes off of these overwhelming obstacles. And focus your attention on the presence and the power of God. I'm reminded of the story back in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Where we have Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah. And coming up against them is three enemy nations who has them greatly outnumbered. They said, there is no way that we can handle this army that's coming. I mean, we're toast. And yet, this is what they said. We have no might against this great company, but our eyes are on you. That's what they said. Lord, there's no way we can do it. But our eyes are on you. And in focusing their eyes on God. In putting their perspective. To the living God. The Lord of all the earth. That was doing more than they could have ever done. On their own strength. And so I ask you. As you face uncomfortable changes. As you face overwhelming obstacles that. May be in your life. Where are your eyes? Where are your eyes? Are your eyes on the logistics? All the details? Or are your eyes on the living God? You see your ability to move forward by faith. Has everything to do with where your focus is. Let's move on here. The second command we have is sanctify yourself. Verse 5, Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now I want you to notice, there is a command here, and there is a promise. A command and a promise. Sanctify yourself, for the Lord will do wonders among you. The promise of God performing wonders came with a condition. Sanctify yourself. What does that mean? What does that mean to you this morning? When you read that, sanctify yourself. I mean, do you put yourself in the pages of Scripture? So when you're reading the Bible, what does this mean to you? We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about facing unknowns. We're talking about facing uncomfortable things, overwhelming obstacles, and we're talking about keys to victory. And the second one is sanctify yourself. Does that mean anything to you? Like if God would ask you to sanctify yourself, would you even know what to do? <laughs> Sanctified. It is to be made holy. It's to set apart. It's to be free from sin. Uh, Another similar word would be consecration. We talk about being consecrated. Surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of my life, heart and mind possessions, Lord, right? I offer unto thee that's consecration. Dear people, we're talking here about spiritual preparation. Spiritual preparation for what God has for us. For what God has put in our life. For what looks big, for what looks different, for what looks unfamiliar, spiritual preparation. And so it's all about getting rid of the clutter out of your life and getting in tune with God. Getting rid of the clutter and getting in tune with God. And you know as well as I do that as life moves along, some clutter builds up. We start sort of amassing things into our life that can slow us down that can dull our vision that can make us sluggish in this race of life sanctification consecration is about spiritual preparation it's about getting rid of clutter and about getting in tune with God and I want you to consider here the important connection between sanctification and spiritual vision there is an important connection between the two, sanctification and spiritual vision. You see, by sanctifying ourselves, we are then enabled to see and appreciate the mighty working of God. And I wonder how, how often we miss what God wants to do or what God is doing because we're not in tune with God. Because there's things in our lives that are weighing us down. Our spiritual vision is is dull. We're sluggish. And we're thinking about the other stuff. And we miss what God is wanting to do. You see, when we're left to ourselves, we begin to, to have this attitude of entitlement. That God owes us something. We begin to make demands of God. Do this for me, God. Do that for me. You're supposed to do that. We begin to forget who God really is. We begin to forget who we really are. There's quite a vast difference there, I guess you understand. But we start, that gets gets muddy sometimes. I say when we're left to ourselves. We tend to raise ourselves up and kind of bring God down to a buddy status. You know, that type of thing. We lose the wonder and the awe of who God really is and what he's doing in the world and and what he wants to do in our lives. And so we see a rainbow and it doesn't really touch us. We almost have an accident. We say, wow, I was lucky. God answers a prayer and we say, it's about time. Been praying for three years. A miracle happens and we say, well, that's just what God's supposed to do. He's a God of miracles. You see what I'm saying? It's that attitude. That attitude. God told the people to sanctify yourselves. What do you think they did? Do you think they did anything? Does it say? Turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, we don't have time to dig deeply into this, but just simply using it as an example here. Here's a spot earlier in their lives where the command went out to sanctify yourself. In fact, the people were to be sanctified, the priests were to be sanctified, and the mountain was to be sanctified. Why? Because God was coming to meet with His people. Chapter 19, verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people. I'm sorry. And Moses, yeah, told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes And be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Now let's skip down to verse 14. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people. And sanctified the people. Okay, so what did he do? What did they do? Well, he already mentioned about washing the clothes. Here we have it again. They washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning. That there were thunders and lightnings. And a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. So that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp. To meet with God. Isn't that beautiful? To meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. Now. If the experience at Mount Sinai was to be a pattern, then we can make some connection to what it means in Joshua 3 to sanctify yourself. They had done this before. We don't have to go through all the details again, but there's some things that were expected. When Joshua said, sanctify yourselves, the people understood the routine. Well, here in Exodus chapter 19... There was this command to wash your clothes. By the way, that was symbolic in the Bible. It is symbolic in the Bible. It has to do with a new beginning. A new beginning. Different times in Scripture, we find this thing of bathing and changing your clothes. For example, Jacob. When Jacob and his family returned to the Lord and went back to Bethel, they bathed and changed their clothes. When David confessed of his sin with Bathsheba, he bathed and changed his clothes. New beginnings. Okay? And so here in Exodus 19, we have this same concept. Wash your clothes. There was another thing listed here. Abstain from sexual relations. That was a command. And along with that, we could say, you know, there are times in life where We must abstain from things that are good and right in their own place and time. And yet have the potential to dull us spiritually. You know, they can get in the way. They can bring clutter into our lives. And there's times that we must abstain from that because of a greater purpose, a greater thing in focus. There was one more thing that Moses mentioned, that is... Be ready, (laughs) okay? Get in a spirit of readiness. Get in a spirit of anticipation. God is coming to meet with you. And so that could have included time of prayer, time of fasting. It's not specifically listed there, but more than likely that was included. It was to abstain from the normal and do other things, special things, because of what was happening. To meet with God. The people were going to meet with God. They were going to see Him in a sense. They were going to feel Him. They were going to hear from Him. It was a time of experiencing His presence. A time of worshipping Him. Once again I'm saying there's an important connection. Between sanctification and spiritual vision. You want to know how to get from change to Canaan successfully? It includes sanctification. It includes consecration. It includes getting rid of the clutter in your life that's fogging your vision and getting in tune with God. In fact, any uncomfortable change or any overwhelming obstacle in our lives calls for a special time of spiritual preparation. I want to challenge you with that, dear people. I say it again. Any uncomfortable change or any overwhelming obstacle in your life calls for a special time of spiritual preparation. It is a key to moving through that transition successfully. And it will empower you to move forward by faith. Now, lastly, step into the water. We notice this in verses 15 and 16. We're back in Joshua 3. Verses 15 and 16 let me just read these again to refresh our memory and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water For Jordan overfloweth his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam. This is going to be very important. Listen, that is beside Zaretan, and those that came down towards the Sea of the Plain, even the Salt Sea, that is the Dead Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over, clean over, right against Jericho. Okay, what is that saying? We're talking here about stepping into the water. And I want you to notice something very important. It may be a little bit obscured in the King James. But you can find it. But just I want you to notice this. This was a different body of water than the Red Sea. Okay. Years ago, the people had moved through the Red Sea. How did that happen? The water stood up in a heap on either side. And they walked through the middle. On dry ground. This was a different technique. You see, God doesn't always do it the same way, does He? (laughs) No, we like that way. We're used to that way. Do it again. But God is changing up here. This is going to take a new measure of faith. Why? Because. I want you to get your feet wet. I want you to actually step in the water. And then what happened? You know what happened? The water rose up on a heap 20 miles upstream at the city of Adam next to Zaretan. Not right here. Come on, go, get in the water. But there's still water coming. Go, but the water isn't. You see? Does that take faith? You remember what this river looked like? Does that take faith? The water stood up on a heap. Close to 20 miles upstream. Now, did that change the surroundings? Yeah, yeah, it did. Okay, and very quickly. But not immediately. You see, we want immediate results. God, if you do this, I'll do this. You know, we like to bargain with God. You know, we're talking here about stepping into the water. You know, it's one thing to set your eyes on the ark, right? Right? It's one thing to set your eyes on God. It's another thing to sanctify yourself, okay? But it's another thing altogether to step into the water. We can do the first two things without dying, but we're not sure we can do the third thing without dying. Alright? And so that changes everything for us. You see, we can do the first two, Lord, without dying, but look at that violent water. Look at that. I'll I'll never. And God says, Didn't I tell you that I was the living God? Didn't I tell you that I was the Lord of all the earth? Didn't I tell you that I will never leave you or forsake you? Step into the water. (laughs) Step into the water. You know, people... You can believe till you're blue in the face. But if you never step into the water, you'll never move forward in your Christian experience. You can believe till you're blue in the face. But if you never step into the water, you will never see the mighty wonders of God. You will never experience that greater measure of God's grace. You will never bask in that abundant measure of God's blessings that He is waiting to shower on you. you got to step into the water. You know, James wrote many years later, faith without works is dead, being alone. Or faith without works is no faith at all. You say you have faith, let me see it by your works. And then he says, I mean, even the devils believe and tremble, but they're not moved to action. Belief and action coupled together create a deadly combination, a deadly combination You know, the priests didn't just believe, but they acted on that belief. The feet of the priests touched the water, and then the water stood up in a heap. 20 miles upstream, okay? And then, things started to change around them. And they walked through. It was an exercise not only of faith, but of feet, okay? Faith and works. An exercise of faith and feet. The two have to go together. Now, just quickly, two little examples from the Bible that proves the power of of faith in action. Faith in action. Children, these these are ones that you can grasp. Stories that you know. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. The scripture says that his life was spared. Why? Because he believed in his God. How do we know that he believed in his God? We can't just say he believed in his God game over. No. How do we know? He did something. He kept praying just like he always had before even though he knew what the consequences would be. Think about the, the Hebrew boys. The Bible says they were spared from the fiery furnace. Why? Because they trusted in God. Well how do we know that they trusted in God? Well Because instead of blending in and bowing, they stood out by standing. Okay? That's what they did. So there was faith in both situations, but that wasn't all. There was an outworking of that faith. And I say, that's it. That's proof the faith is even genuine, that it's real. Well, how did the children of Israel... Go from Canaan. I'm sorry. Go from change to Canaan. How did they? They took God at his word. And they proved it. By moving forward in faith. Forward in faith. You know God is calling us to do the same thing today. God is calling you to do the same thing today. To take his word. And prove. Prove it by stepping out in faith, moving forward by faith. I remember what Moses said just before he left the scene. It's one of the last words we have from Moses, the mighty leader of God, perhaps the greatest leader this world has ever known, other than Jesus Christ. But what did he say? The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Some of the last words we have from Moses. You see, God is calling us to step out in faith. Move forward in faith in the midst of changes. In the midst of overwhelming obstacles. And that takes faith from us. But dear people, God is faithful. God is faithful. And we can rest in that. We can find strength in that. May God be glorified in the preaching and teaching of his word, in in your life as well. We'll call for a song.